Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, I will be reviewing in full AEW Dynamite that debuted on September 16th, 2020. This, we'll be talking about all the matches in full, all of my notes, all of my thoughts about it. There will be no snapshots, which I love to do, but you will eventually get a particular deep dive snapshot of the best feud between Peter Avalon and Brandon Cutler soon. So be on the lookout for that. But before we jump right into AEW Dynamite, let me take a moment to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of my listeners around the world who listen to my podcast on Anchor, on any other major podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on. If you listen to this podcast on those platforms, please make sure to leave a review, some stars, however it is so that people can find this podcast and enjoy it as much as you do. I do have to say, though, that on the Anchor side of things, because this podcast is on Anchor and also on Patreon, Anchor gives me the geographic locations of where my listeners are at. So currently in the United States, you guys make up 81%. And here are the top three states that listen to Square Circle Podcast. New Jersey took the number one spot. Last time, it was Virginia having the number one spot. But New Jersey came in first, then Virginia and Ohio. The rest of the states are as follows. Texas, New York, Washington, North Carolina, Connecticut, South Dakota, Florida, Illinois, Oregon, and California. Thank you, everyone who has been listening to my podcast. You know, New York should be number one because I am a New Yorker. I am based out of NYC. This is my home. So if you are in New York and you love listening to wrestling podcasts, headed by a female who's been in the business, who worked for WWE and now talks about AEW, and we'll be talking about a new company soon in the future, just head on over to anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. Or if you want a personal shout out, head over to patreon.com forward slash rookie SCP to get special shout outs, which by the way, thank you, Max, for always supporting the Square Circle podcast. He is a Patreon supporter. And he's also from the UK as well, which the UK makes up 6% of my listeners. Ireland makes up 6% of my listeners and Canada makes up 2% of my listeners. I would definitely love some more Canadians to check out my podcast because I really adore Canadian wrestling. Now that I've taken care of all the thank yous that I can muster up into the beginning of this podcast, let's jump right into AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite opens up with Jurassic Express in the ring. They're getting ready to face FTR, and out comes the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks have been pretty upset lately, and the Young Bucks have possibly been turning heel. I don't know. I'm just going to let everything play out and see how it goes. However, they've been on a super kick party, super kicking everybody in their path that either want to ask some questions or just because they want to do it. Last week, it was Alex Marvez that got super kicked. This week on AEW Dynamite, they came out to super kick the ref. And when they got to the back, threw $5,000 at Tony Khan. It was planned beautifully. It was nice. It was funny. As they're walking towards the back, they have a moment with FTR. 
FTR are the AEW Tag Team Champions, and that probably still rubs them the wrong way. It probably should have been, in their mind, the Young Bucks versus Hangman and Kenny at All Out, but that did not happen. Now we have the new AEW World Tag Team Champions, which is FTR. FTR makes their way out to the ring, and then now we can finally have our tag team match that starts off the show. This match was beautifully done. FTR are masters in the ring. FTR love to cut the ring in half and make sure that they have the advantage at all times, that the other team has to suffer, and they can possibly get a win over their opponent by working the one guy in the ring while keeping half the ring to themselves. They allowed Jungle Boy to shine in this match. They allowed Luchasaurus to shine in this match. As much as FTR does not like the flips and all the crazy acrobatics, they still gave us one hell of a story and performance in this match from start to finish with their opponents being Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus because they go extremely fast and they have a lot of acrobatics that they have in their match setup now getting towards the end of this match jungle boy had a cover over dax however cash had pulled dax's leg for dax to use the momentum to cover jungle boy only to have cash at the ringside holding on to dax to make sure that they get the three count the referee did not see that this happened, and I really think that was a clever move, a clever spot to do, which makes FTR that much more credible as a tag team, and you have to make sure that you have all eyes on them in order to try to get one up on them so that way they don't get one up on you. They're very great at being sneaky without being sneaky, or I should say they're great with being sneaky without being caught sometimes. So I really, really do appreciate FTR being in AEW and elevating the tag team division to make the other opponents in the tag team division that much smarter when it comes to tag team wrestling. After that, we get Hangman versus Kazarian. This is Hangman's first official singles match after him and Kenny Omega lost the tag team titles to FTR. Maybe this is a clean slate. Maybe this is what Hangman needs after being with Kenny and being the tag team champions. This match is definitely my favorite match of the night. We also had Kenny Omega out there as the special guest commentator critiquing the match, critiquing Hangman Adam Page, mentioning his concerns and also putting him over when Hangman does spectacular moves and can go in the ring and do it on his own. When Hangman comes out, he looks to be sober, yet weary, and just going through the motions of coming out as a singles competitor and being in a singles match. Hangman looks around for Kenny. He sees Kenny at the announce desk. They have a weird little awkward high going on. Hangman did seem distracted in some parts in this wrestling match, even though Hangman did seem distracted as well. On commentary, they asked Kenny a couple of questions. His responses were that he's focusing on a singles run, not in the tag team. However, if the cards do fall where Hangman and Kenny 
happen to get back together as a tag team to have a tag team match, then they could see where they go from there. But according to Kenny, he's focusing on the singles run. He probably wants to be AEW World Heavyweight Champion, which he can go for, and I'm all for it. However, don't leave your buddies hanging or people that you would have considered to be your buddies hanging. Kazarian does a beautiful swinging neck breaker to Paige. At this point, Kazarian has a little bit more advantage over Hangman because Hangman is still somewhat distracted in probably maybe the first five, ten minutes of the match. Kenny on commentary mentions that while Hangman looks to be in good shape for this match, Frankie Kazarian is definitely no slouch, and Hangman has his hands full with trying to defeat Frankie Kazarian. Hangman does a body slam to Kazarian, and then there is a chop exchange. Hangman clotheslines Kazarian to the floor and then does a plancha to Kazarian. After that, Hangman smiles, and that is all I want to see. I want to see this cowboy continue to smile as he goes on to get more singles matches. I do want to comment on something about when it comes to Excalibur on commentary. I am not a Excalibur fan. He has a really deep knowledge of the wrestling moves, and most of the time he's calling it in Spanish when I'm like, if the wrestlers are not Spanish or if the match is not in Mexico, you don't need so much Spanish jargon because then me as someone who's aspiring to be a commentator, I'm going to forget the actual English words to these moves. And it's just going to mess me up and I don't want to be another copy of Excalibur, if that makes any sense, if I want to pursue that. I did tweet it out. You know, I'm not afraid to say that I tweeted it out. The difference between what a plancha looks like and what a pescado looks like, because essentially they're two different things. And if Hangman decided to do a cross body onto the outside, that's exactly what he did to Kazarian. He did a cross body. If he's not flopping around in the air or doing a corkscrew, then you don't call it a pescado. Pescado in Spanish means fish. And in Lucha Libre, whenever they were to use pescado or the combination of pescado plancha, which that sounds totally wrong, but you get the idea. It's basically that you're reenacting how a fish will act when they're out of water. They're flapping around. Therefore, if you're doing a corkscrew cross body onto the outside, you could definitely put the two together and call it a plancha pescado or a pescado plancha, something like that. But if Hangman is just doing a cross body to the outside on Kazarian, it is a plancha. Or just call it a cross body to the outside. You don't have to be fancy. AEW is not built on being fancy or bougie with their commentators. It's meant to be simple and relaxing and fun. And I know that he probably knows the difference. It's just that no one is taking the time to be like, hey, maybe you should not say it that way because that's not exactly what it is. 
say it the way that it is, if you see that a corkscrew is happening and then the crossbody is with it too, then call it that. Call it what it should be because no one else on commentary is challenging you on these wrestling moves that you're saying during the match. Excalibur does well sometimes. There are times where I just can't really tolerate him on commentary, but that's just me. That's not the consensus of everyone else. That's just me. It's just that I don't want him to continue to say the wrong words while he commentates. Because then when you talk to other fans and they try to explain a move to you that they think they know, they're going to say the wrong information. And we live in a day and age where there's a lot of misinformation out there. And the last thing you want is to fans call a move the wrong move. And that's disrespectful to the move, to the culture that you're implementing in AEW when it's not all Lucha Libre. That's just my stance on it. That's just my take on it. But if he ever listens to this, it's just me trying to help out to make sure that everything goes smooth and the right words for the moves are used. That's all. Now back to this awesome match. Kazarian then does two guillotine leg drops to Hangman. Kenny on commentary basically comments on Hangman's singles competition is not up to par. As in, Hangman hasn't had enough singles competition to realize how much at stake is in this match and to perform to the top tier that Kenny Omega has been performing at. Kenny has a combination of singles and tag team matches under his belt. So during the time that Hangman and Kenny were tag team champions, Kenny was booked in singles action and was also booked in tag team action with the elite. So he has enough knowledge and a standard that he holds himself up to when it comes to knowing how to have a singles match. Not saying that Hangman doesn't know how to have a singles match, but Hangman wasn't booked like how Kenny was booked during their tag team reign. So Hangman is probably a little bit rusty. But he delivered a phenomenal match with Frankie Kazarian that proved that he's ready for a singles run, even if he wants to reconcile with Kenny Omega to be a tag team again and get the belts. And to prove to Kenny why he's not a fuck up. Also, Kenny mentions that he wants Hangman to win. And that Hangman should win, and winning will be a good thing for Hangman. And Kenny mentions that if Hangman loses this match, it will be very bad for Hangman. In the match, Hangman is showing a lot more power strikes, like a lariat, a fallaway slam, the kip-up, and then a shooting star press. Hangman still has one of the best shooting star press in the business. On commentary, Kenny says that he's impressed with Hangman's ability, he sees that Hangman is fatigued and mentioned that this is the time in the match where he would tag out to a tag team partner. However, Hangman is doing it all on his own. Kazarian does a spike DDT to Hangman. Hangman kicks out. Then the um, prettier to Hangman from Kazarian. Hangman kicks out of that. 
on commentary, Kenny Omega thought that the um, prettier would have put Hangman Adam Page away, but due to the tenacity that Hangman has, Hangman kicks out, and Kenny actually expected that to be Hangman's first loss. And then Kenny talks about how he would have had the big save so that way Hangman doesn't get the loss. Which, by the way, that happened during their AEW tag team reign. Hangman would come in, he'll be drunk, he'll be in full kick-ass mode, and basically he'll kick the opponent's ass, do some awesome moves in the match, get hit with a big move from that opponent, and it'll look like it knocked out Hangman only for Kenny to come in and finally do the big save because Hangman wants to beat up the opponent as quick as possible, get to the back, have a beer, celebrate, and that's it. He wasn't on the same level as Kenny Omega in philosophy-wise when it comes to tag team wrestling. If you follow Kenny Omega's tag team career, especially with him and Ibushi, there's a certain chemistry that needs to be met with teaming with Kenny Omega to understand why he draws out matches and why he tells a story in the match and why he does the things that he does. Both Kenny and Ibushi are competitive men and both of them want the same goal and they want the gold and they like to hurt their opponents to make sure that they get the victory. However, it was the complete opposite when Kenny Omega and Hangman teamed because Hangman is still a lone wolf. He does things on his own and he likes to kick ass and not draw anything out. There's no, in terms of him teaming with Kenny Omega, there wasn't much psychology behind Hangman's moves when he was in the ring, other than beat the guy's ass, get the victory any which way possible, only to go to the back and get a beer and relax. So both Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page had two different ideas of what it meant to be a tag team. After Hangman kicks out of that cover, Hangman then does a sliding lariat to Kazarian, which looks amazing. There is a pump handle Death Valley driver to Kazarian from Hangman. Then Kenny Omega on commentary mentions that Hangman is running out of offense and he needs to put Kazarian away quickly. Everyone can see the fatigue that both of these guys are enduring during this match. Florida has a very high humidity rate and these guys put on an excellent match. Now comes the final moments of this match where Hangman does his finisher, the Buckshot Lariat the best buckshot lariat in the business and picks up the victory over Kazarian. After Hangman gets his first victory in the singles competition, Kenny decides to leave very quickly and Hangman is around looking for Kenny and then eventually singles for a beer and it is thrown to him and he is having a beer celebration and not a hard liquor celebration. So now we're getting into the story arc of Hangman Adam Page coming back to beer and wanting to be the best person that he can be before the beer and before his downward spiral. So there is some progress in this story. There's progress in Hangman Adam Page for him to be back to a happier cowboy 
and to let the world know that it doesn't matter if they call you a fuck up, you still get up and do what you got to do. I also probably didn't mention that at the beginning of AW Dynamite, FTR won that tag team match against Jurassic Express. After both the opening and the lovely Hangman versus Kazarian match, we get MJF versus Sean Dean, which is a squash match that just puts over MJF's finisher. MJF then has a promo talking about how his match at All Out was wrong and that maybe he needs a stable because there's a lot of guys here with different stables or maybe he could just be on his own and stuff like that. It pushes his character a little bit more and it still helps out the potential MJF versus Wardlow match that we're going to get eventually. After that, it's an Eddie Kingston promo. I have nothing against Eddie Kingston, just so you guys know. It's just that Eddie Kingston with the Blade and the Butcher and the Lucha Bros, I don't know where this is going. I asked this on Twitter to people if they were interested in the storyline because I don't really know much about it. I can't really comment about it or any type of history about it just because it felt like it was just put together randomly and like myself and everyone else who commented on the Twitter side that we all feel that we're waiting for the payoff. We're waiting to see where this goes. We're waiting for the payoff so that way they can eventually either move on to something else, either be tag team or single competitors and, you know, do it that way. By the way, if you are already not following me on Twitter, follow me at Marie underscore shadows to read all of my thoughts about professional wrestling and even get in on the replies when I ask certain questions about AEW and their booking. After that, we get Private Party versus Jericho and Hager. Chris Jericho and Hager declared that they are going to become a legit tag team and rise up in the ranks of the tag team division. Why they're doing this? I don't know. Do I eventually want Santana and Ortiz to turn on them to have a really good match? Probably. Just so that way Jericho and Hager knows that the tag team division isn't just let's put two random guys together to be a tag team and let's do this. Even though they sort of did it with Hangman and Kenny and Peter Avalon and Brandon Cutler, but I really do think that Jericho and Hager are the two weirdest people to put together at the moment. I'd rather Hager be a bodyguard type, but he's always going to be a bodyguard type. So, you know, let's just see where it goes. Private Party has a lot of aggression in this match. They were attacking Jericho and Hager. Jericho at one point was taking advantage of Mark Quinn. They tag in Hager. Isaiah almost got the victory over Chris Jericho. Hager then used an object towards Isaiah's back, which changed the momentum of the match. There was a hurricanrana from Isaiah to Jericho, and it started getting down to feeling urgent that Private Party wanted to pick up the win and celebrate. However, Jericho comes out with the Judas effect. Therefore, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager get the victory over Private Party in this match. 
After that, we get Thunder Rosa versus Ivelisse. Thunder Rosa once again put up her NWA World Women's Championship on the line. This was a weird feeling of a match. It felt pretty good. Thunder Rosa and Ivelisse would definitely have a wonderful match. Thunder Rosa makes those shotgun drop kicks look fucking ferocious, man. Like, so great. There was a bunch of hard strikes. There was a bunch of real strikes in there. Nobody was holding back. And in the end, Thunder Rosa got the victory over Ivelisse, retaining her NWA World Women's Championship. And then Diamante comes in to attack Thunder Rosa. Sheeta has seen enough. She was in the crowd. She jumps over the guardrail, comes in and saves Thunder Rosa, and hands her the NWA Women's Championship in good sportsmanship. And hopefully down the line, we could get a part two of Sheeta versus Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa is one tough chick. And then we get the setup for the six-man tag featured for next week, which is Lance Archer, Ricky Starks, Brian Cage versus Moxley, Darby, and Will Hobbs. Will Hobbs just signed his AEW contract, so congrats to him. So how this starts off is Jake Roberts is in the ring, and he cuts his promo. He mentions that sometimes you have to sleep with the devil or your enemy to get things done. Out comes Taz, and they form a partnership between Team Taz with Lance Archer. Out comes Moxie to give his starting promo. However, Ricky Starks is in the crowd and jumps him, and both him and Brian Cage are attacking Moxley until Will Hobbs comes and evens the playing field, and they both run, and that's when Moxley explains that it will be him plus Will Hobbs plus Darby facing against Team Taz and Lance Archer. After that, we get the best parking lot brawl that I have seen in a very long time. This parking lot brawl, according to Tony Khan, was taken in one take. Now, on Twitter, I told him not to review everything because I still want to be a fan and love the organicness of this match. He doesn't have to tell us fans every single little thing. That's what I love about AEW. They allow you to immerse yourself as a fan of professional wrestling to enjoy the product. That's why we're always so happy when AEW comes on and then the WWE stands apparently don't like that because they don't know what happiness is. And we know what happiness is. And AEW brings that happiness. This parking lot bra is Santana and Ortiz versus best friends. This happened because Santana and Ortiz took out Trent's mom's car and bleach best friends clothes and it started way back when Jericho was feuding with Orange Cassidy and Santana and Ortiz will always either attack Cassidy and or attack best friends at the same time depending on the situation. So now we're here in this parking lot brawl and this is how it all went down. There was chaos. Ortiz gets hit multiple times under the hood of a car. Chuck Taylor does a senton on the hood of the car while Ortiz is under that, Trent does the same thing. The story that the commentators are getting over is revenge for Sue's car, Trent's mom. And that story got over so quick. 
Santana uses the baton on best friends, slingshot into a car, suplex onto the hood of a car from Ortiz. Santana crossbody to Chuck. There is a pin. However, Chuck Taylor kicks out. Spear through some plywood from Trent to Ortiz. The plywood was a door. It looked like every door that you see in a New Jersey street fight in a wrestling event. I've seen way too many of them. Weapons are being used. Chuck suplexes Ortiz onto a barricade. There's a powerbomb from Trent. Ortiz powerbombs Trent onto a car. There's the double powerbomb through the window shield by Santana and Ortiz on Trent. Trent's back is now bleeding. And then all of a sudden, Orange Cassidy appears out of one of the trunks of the cars. He does a Superman punch with a chain to knock out Santana. Chuck Taylor does a power driver to Santana onto the hood of a car. Trent with a belly-to-back power driver, which is called the Crunchy, to Ortiz for the victory. That finisher puts Ortiz away. It allows best friends to pick up the one, two, three, and they win parking lot brawl. Sue, Trent's mom, comes to pick up her son and his friends in her new minivan. And as she's driving away, she gives everybody the middle finger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is my review of AW Dynamite from September 16th. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review via your favorite podcast platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave me a voice message via Anchor, where I'll listen, talk about, and feature it on an upcoming podcast episode. Also, I have a Patreon campaign that allows you to listen to this podcast episode ad-free. Patreon allows you to support my content directly to keep the podcast coming, and you'll get a personalized shout-out from me. Head over to patreon.com forward slash rookie SCP. Thank you guys for all the listens, support, and love, and I'll see you in the next episode.